0: Well, welcome again, and uh, thank you again for being part of today. I hope uh, this makes today special, the time uh, you spend with God, with other people. I hope that means a lot to you. A group of our people are actually down in Mexico right now serving, uh, and we love having opportunities for people to be able to go and, and help others, but also as they go help others, something happens in their lives. Also, we're looking forward to the day camp and all that's going on with that. So a lot of things are going on here, and a lot of life change opportunities, and that's really what it's all about. Hey, this morning I want to spend a few minutes talking about getting out of your comfort zone. Okay, getting out of your comfort zone. Now you know what that means, um, doesn't it, when you get out of your comfort zone? The best way to get out of your comfort zone here on Sunday morning is to sit in another spot. Because most of you like your own spot where you sit, and sitting in another place freaks you out. I know it really does. Um, we all have comfort zone, we all do, every single one of us, I do, and we have stuff in our comfort zone that we're okay with, and we have stuff, well, outside our comfort zone, stuff that kind of we freak out. I, I spent some time um, asking our church staff, what is something outside of your comfort zone? Got them all in a room and we talked about, okay, I'm doing a message on this, what's outside of your comfort zone? And, and somebody said this, and we found out how many of you are like this, meeting new people, Meeting new people. Any of you like that? Any of you? Any, hands up. Yeah. Meeting new people can sometimes be a... Any of you have trouble with when you meet somebody new, you introduce yourself to them, and they tell you the name, and you immediately forget their name? Any of you ever like that? All the time. guy. I hate, I, hate, I hate that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really tough. Really tough. Somebody else said, um, people violating my personal space. You know? That's when they're way too close to you or something like that. We don't, we don't like that. No. No. That's why when you come and you sit in a place like this, you will kind of sit away from other people. There will be a space in between because it's too weird to sit too close to somebody else. Someone else said on our staff said, um, having to make cocktail party conversations. And I said, well, how many cocktail parties do you go to? You're a pastor. I mean, (laughs) don't give me that. And 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 they said no 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 you're, no it's it's small talk it's like I get that okay right having to make small talk in those kinds of things, yeah, those are hard that can sometimes be hard too, and and then Brandon our, our youth director said this his, out of his comfort zone is being confronted about something I've done wrong, and I said so what is it you've been done wrong I mean why are you, <laughs> what what are you waiting for here. Now, now this morning, we're going to spend a few minutes looking at two people who are completely opposites, completely opposites, and God yanked them both out of their comfort zones for a collision. They're on a collision course to meet each other, and we're going to kind of see what God does in the whole situation and setting it up and how God worked in them and worked through them and worked with them, and maybe something will kind of rub off and stick on you and on me as we go, as we go through this, but let's take a second and pray, okay? God, open up our hearts now to um, hear what you have to say to us and give me the right words for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're in a series that we are calling Unstoppable, and we're calling it Unstoppable because that's what this movement that God started is. It's unstoppable, this thing called the church. can't stop it. Jesus said the gates of hell can't even stop it. It's going to grow and grow and grow. And for 2,000 years, it has been changing lives and people all over, all over the world, and as God moves through Jesus and spreads and moves, it gives new life and it changes hearts and it changes people. You are witnesses to that. You are saying, "My life is different because of Jesus Christ and what He's done for me." And what Jesus did was He took a handful of people, handful of people, and He said, "I'm going away, but you spread this. You, you do it." And so God took eleven guys who preferred fishing or farming and yank them way out of their comfort zone and change the world. And because of them, our lives are changed as well. Now, in Acts chapter 9, there's a great story, and these are the two guys that we're going we're to meet <laughs> starts out this way it says now there was a believer in damascus named ananias there you go ananias is the first guy now we looked at an amanias if you're here last week you we looked at a guy named ananias here obviously ananias is a very popular name like dustin or justin or ananias i mean they're all just kind of right there there's all name a kid that um, since that ananias last week dropped dead this is a different one okay just to let you know okay different one that guy's dead okay Who's Ananias? We got not much more than a name. I mean, we just don't have much more than a name. His name is Ananias. It says he was a believer, and that's good. Other translations of the Bible would use the term disciple, that he was a disciple. And that might be even better, because believer in this term means I believe, but disciple means not just I believe, but I follow. Not just simply I believe in a name or I believe in a concept, I follow. It's my life. It's part of my life. It's who I am. And it's who I'm what I'm going to be, and I'm going to grow in my faith. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, you replied. Now God spoke to him, don't know when, you know, don't know how. Maybe it was after work, maybe it was during his lunch break, maybe, maybe he was getting ready for bed, but it was very clear, and we are supposed to kind of put ourselves in this story, okay? It goes on. It says, The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. Now, this is in Damascus. Damascus is and was a major city back then. I mean, kind of like uh, New York or Chicago or L.A. or San Francisco is. Big city, huge, big metropolitan area there. And Straight Street is actually a major road, kind of like Market Street is in the city. Okay? We're talking big. And if you have an address on Market Street, it means that you are a person of means. Okay, you've got money in order to be able to live on, on Market Street or on Straight Street, prestigious address. You know? and, and he says, go to the house. God says, you know, we need to go to the house of Judas. Different Judas, by the way. That's another popular name. Okay? This is not the same guy. He's, he's dead too. Okay? So anyway, right, go, go to the house of Judas. And, and the next words probably freaked Ananias out. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. And if this were a movie and there was a soundtrack or there was music to it, um, as soon as the name Saul of Tarsus is mentioned, it would go, you know, dun, 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 you know, because he's like the Darth Vader of that world, all right? He's the guy that no one likes. He's the mean guy. He's the bad guy. And he's our second character. His name is Saul. Saul was wild man. He was powerful. He was ruthless. He was a guy who hated Christians, and he hated everything they stood for. He was trained as a religious person, a a Pharisee. Um, He was an activist. He was a type A personality. He had drive. He had determination. And he had a lot of built-up anger against followers of Christ, a lot of it. The Bible says this, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Every breath, he was uttering threats. Every breath. Have you ever seen that? It's like uttering b- threats with every breath. Have you ever seen somebody like that? Have you ever go up 92? Of course you do. You go up 92, and, 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 and you're getting towards the top, and you know the two lanes go into one lane. You know that? And there's a truck in the right lane, and you're back there. And so what do you have to do? You don't want to follow the truck all the way down, and so you speed up. You know, you, you go in, and you, now you get into the left lane. And, 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 of course, there's always somebody flying up behind you, you know, a BMW, it's always a BMW, sorry, you BMW drivers, it's always a BMW that's flying up, you know, really fast, and and, and you pull over, and, and they get behind you, and now they're stuck behind you, they can't go behind the truck, and they can't go behind you, and all of a sudden you look in your, and they flash their lights, and you look in your rearview mirror, and they are doing what? They're uttering threats with every breath, okay? Yes. there. And what's really, really cool is now all of a sudden it merges and they're still behind you and you're driving a minivan and a BMW has to follow a minivan all the way down. I love that. And they follow me all the way down and they utter threats with every breath. That's really good. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Eager to kill. I mean, eager. Not just had to kill. Eager. He lived for this kind of stuff. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. I just think of that guy. He's willing to travel. You know, he's willing to move into different into different countries, into different cities, all over the place, to try and find, root out believers in Christ, put them in chains haul him back to Jerusalem because he's eager to what? To kill him. That's how much he hates this whole thing. So he's now Saul the bounty hunter. He really thinks he can destroy this movement single-handedly, and he is going to try as hard as he can to do it. Jesus may have started it a few years before. He's going to finish it. He's going to end it. He's going to eradicate Christianity off off the earth. He's going to snuff out this movement. He, by the way, is the man responsible for all the religious persecution going on in Jerusalem. So much so that the disciples, the believers, had to run. <laughs> they scattered. Some went to Damascus, and he said, that's not far enough. I can still find you there. So Saul has got warrants and extradition papers, and he's going to haul him back for that. Now, we have two very different characters, don't we? You have Saul, crazy guy, you know. He is completely focused on getting rid of Christians. And then you have Ananias home in his room. Here we go. Saul's got warrants. He's coming back, calling back for trust. It says, in near Damascus on his journey, this is Saul, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Now, so strong is this light from heaven, it knocks him to the ground. Bam, you know, slams him down. It says, he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Now, the light would freak me out. (laughs) Voice would freak me out. And then if it started calling my name, it would really freak me out. Saul asks, "Who, who are you, Lord? Now, these next words, by the way, will destroy him. He hates Jesus. He hates everything Jesus stands for. Who are you, Lord? Who are you? I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Can you imagine the devastation, all of a sudden that's going on in his life? See how these words destroy him. He, his whole course of life, the last three years, have been committed to nothing but destroying Jesus' name, destroying Jesus' followers, destroying anything that has to do with Jesus. I mean, he will persecute. He will even violate the law if he has to in order to get rid of this. And all of a sudden now, who are you persecuting? You're persecuting me. Everything he had believed was wrong. And he's got to live with these words. Why are you persecuting me? You're not just hurting followers of me. You're persecuting me. He says, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what to do. Saul picked himself up off the ground when he opened his eyes, he was blind. He can't see. So as companions led him by the hand in, into Damascus. And we ask the question, well, why did he have to go blind? I'm not really sure. Maybe it's to make him dependent. You know, maybe it's to make him completely dependent upon other people. Maybe it's kind of a metaphor. You know, you think you're so smart, you know everything, and see everything, Saul, you're really nothing but blind. Or, or or maybe just when he doubted, maybe he would doubt, did he really have a vision but every time he would doubt, he'd say, but I'm blind. I can't see something happen there. But you can kind of get the, his, pers- his temperament of what's going on. It says this, he remained there blind for three days. He did not eat or drink. This guy is shook. His whole world has been completely rocked. Saul, the guy who's been in complete control his whole life, it's been shifted. He has no control. The very thing that he was set out to destroy is the very thing that is calling his name. I I, I think um, I think there's a difference between seeing Jesus as a religious figure or a movement and meeting Jesus as a person. I just just do. There's a whole difference between seeing Jesus as uh, the face of a religion or the face of a movement and meeting Jesus in person. As a getting my car fixed in San Mateo, you know, and I had a couple hours to kill. What do pastors do, you know, when they have a couple hours to kill in San Mateo? They go to the library, okay? That's that's just what I do, okay? I went to the library, and and I was doing some work there, and um, I um, wanted to look through kind of the religious section of the San Mateo library and book after book on the search for the historical Jesus. And um, people will sometimes say, isn't it great they have all these books on Jesus? No, it's not. These are people who are writing because they have said this is the Jesus myth or this is who people thought Jesus was. But these people don't know Jesus. And there's a real big difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus, the living true God who's alive today. And if you know Jesus, you know the difference. You just simply know. You know him. And if you don't, Know him. Ask somebody who does. What is this thing that you know? Because you might know the facts, and that's cool. You need to know maybe some of the facts. But there is a personal experience with the living God through Jesus Christ that touches lives. And that's what we do, what we, what we, we do. All of a sudden, Saul met Jesus, not as a name, but as a person. Boom. Now, we've left poor Ananias alone, um, Put yourself in his position. How much does Saul, How much does, does Ananias know about Saul's encounter with Jesus? He didn't know anything. He knows absolutely nothing. He just knew that Saul was coming into town or possibly that Saul was coming into town. He knows that Saul's a bounty hunter and he knows that he has broad powers to arrest and extradite people who are Christ's followers. Now, everything in his brain tells him to avoid Saul. I mean, Saul would arrest him on the spot. Put him in chains, on the spot. And now he's asked by, by God to not avoid Saul, but to what? To go out and find Saul. You hear how we're talking about completely outside our, our comfort zone? So you have Ananias, who's completely out of his comfort zone, having to go outside his house, his doors, to a main street, to find a guy who's trying to kill everybody. And you have Saul who's the guy who knows everything, is in charge of everything, is completely now flattened. Two guys out of their comfort zone, and they're going to come together. God says, I've shown Saul a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. In other words, God says to Ananias, Saul is expecting you. You know, he's expecting you. Now, if it were me, I'd be trying to back out of it. He's saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Ananias, but um, I've already sent him a text, (laughs) an email, you know. I've already marked it on his ICAL, you know, Ananias, at this at this point in time. But Lord exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this guy has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. If I go, I'm gone. If I go, I'm dead. That's it. It's if I if I go. God answers, Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. So Ananias goes, he doesn't have a choice. We're talking no choice here. Now, will God take us out of our comfort zones? Of course he will. Will it be all right? Yes. Will it be easy? No. That's why it's out of our comfort zone it's not easy. And whenever you have to go outside your comfort zone, something has to die. You understand that? Something has to kind of die inside you. Your right to control, you know, you're your, your right for that which works easy for you. Something has to die a little bit. And something had to die just a, a little bit in, in, in Ananias. So he goes out his door, he crosses the railroad tracks, turns right on Baltic Avenue or wherever, and down a few blocks, he hears the traffic on Straight Street, um, he makes a quick left on straight, goes down a few more blocks. Finally, he's now at the big house of Judas. sits there, you know, the big, the big, the big place. And he's thinking, this is so out of my comfort zone. Any introverts here? Any of you introverts? Do we have any introverts? Yeah, you guys don't raise your hands very high, so it's like, because <laughs> you're introverts. If you ask extroverts, it goes way up. You know, you're now you're now going to a strange house, having to meet somebody you don't even know. You're, you know, and, 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 and what do you do if you're an introvert knocking on a door? It's like this. Nobody's home. You know, I'm gone. <laughs> so he's going he's to walk away. Not too bad. You know. and, and so as he's now starting to walk away, the door opens up, you know. And um, the guy says, are you Ananias? Go on in. And he's led to a room, and, and there's Saul. There's Saul, famous rabbi member of the elite Pharisees, you know, the persecutor of the church, the powerful. He's weak and he's pale and he hasn't eaten in three days and he has these cruddy scales over his eyes. And he's told Ananias is here. The Bible says this, so Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. First get out of your comfort zone and then watch what God begins to do through you. All of a sudden you have Ananias, the guy who was 20 minutes before was freaked out about going to see Saul. Do you hear what he does? He walks right up to him, puts his hands on him, lays his hands on him in a way of, of authority of importance and says to him, Brother Saul, Brother Saul. And he tells him about God. And it seems like whenever you begin to step out of your comfort zone for God, God then begins to take over. God really doesn't take over until you you do that. But here you have a guy that's meek as a mouse that is now sharing Christ with the powerful Saul. He said, God appeared appeared to you on the road. He sent me. You might regain your sight. And then tells him about Christ. He takes him outside and baptizes him. I'm not sure Ananias ever baptized anybody before, ever, ever. Realize that Ananias was just—he huh, huh. may never baptize anybody again. Um, but the guy he baptized, well, most of the rest of the Book of Acts is about Saul. He changed his name to Paul because Paul's just a better name. But <laughs> <laughs> most of the rest of the Book of Acts is as uh, about. Paul, Saul, and the New Testament that you read, more than half of it was written by Saul, more than half. In fact, most of what we hold on to as being critical in understanding who Jesus is and faith and all the theology that's pulled into this comes from a guy who was on his knees with scales over his eyes, hadn't eaten in three days. And it was attributed to some guy named Ananias out of his comfort zone who laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord sent me to you. What happened to Ananias? What happened to him? I don't know. No one knows. I just know he went out of his comfort zone to do something he never see himself doing. And I obviously believe that God wants us to be pulled out of our comfort zones and we should do things to get us out there That's why we do Mexico trips. That's why we have day camps. That's why we ask you to counsel for camp. Now something has to change in me to give me that kind of heart. A couple things, a couple fill-in-the-blanks. Those of you that haven't been able to fill in the blank for the last couple weeks, you're freaking out. I know that, so here we go. (laughs) Okay, first of all, let God speak to you. Now, what does that mean, let God speak to you? You know, here we have two instances of God speaking, and I'm not always sure what it means. You know, I don't really know what it means. Does it happen like back then? I don't really think so. I, I really don't, because this were formative times, and it was written down in Scripture, the way God moved and worked in that time, and I don't think it has to happen that way. I'm sure it can, so I'm not against it, but I'm not sure it really needs to, um, When I was working in college ministry a number of years ago, uh, a girl came to me and said this weirdo guy came up and told me that God had spoke to him and and told him that we're supposed to go out. What should I do? I said, run, just run, just run, (laughs) uh, that kind of thing. And I think God moves in giving us impressions and saying that's the right thing to do, maybe a memory of a scripture, maybe something, maybe a strong impression that you never would have thought of what came from you, kind of outside your brain. I know what happens when you say, here I am, God. I worked through um, my college years and uh, grad school a little bit in a kitchen, and I, I had in the back of a kitchen in a restaurant. That's where I worked. Okay, it was a high school job and then college job, and I and I had been there for a few years, and I knew the place really, really well. You know, we were talking your basic high school job, and and and, and I began to be proficient in dishwashing. Okay, here we go. and That's my claim to fame, and 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 worked hard and kind of kind of worked my way up. And the owner wanted to actually to, for me to someday maybe go into business with him. And 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 so he kind of promoted me to kitchen manager and said, "If you do with us, can learn the whole business here." I want to start another another place, another restaurant, and we can go into partnership at that point in time. And I thought, well, that's really pretty cool. That's really interesting. Um, but the problem was, is just a few months before um, I had made uh, uh, an important commitment to Christ. My life had changed because of Jesus Christ, and I had committed my life to Him. Not knowing what that would mean, not knowing what that would entail, knowing that if I if I end up be in the back of a kitchen for the rest of my life, that's okay because I'm just going to now do it for Christ. And God can use me back there like he can use me anywhere. However, I, I realized for me personally that if, if I really wanted to be of service to God, I need to get a little bit more training, a little bit more education. And by then I was too far along in my college my college major that I couldn't just jump into another Bible college. So I knew I had to do some graduate school work. And so I, I had to go tell him, I'm sorry, I can't commit to this because I after I'm college I'm going to be probably going to graduate school to seminary for that and so so what he did is he hired a manager to take my place have you ever had to train your manager have you ever had to train your own manager? Have you had to do that? God, it's a pain. It is a hassle because you know the place better than they do, and they're getting paid more, and you've got to tell them what to do, and you've got to work it all out. And I could work circles around this, this guy named Gary, work circles, and he was slow, and he didn't pick it up. And he, he enjoyed the managing part but not the work part. You know, you've had people like that. They enjoy management, but they don't just enjoy the work. And, and what had to happen, and we're talking a kitchen, so we're not talking um, real high-end stuff, and 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 there was a little bit of protocol you had to do in order to, to clean up to get out of there. And, and you know, I had to go to work after school every day, and then afterwards I'd come home like at 10, at night, and if you would clean up the kitchen really well, with mop the floors, wipe the place down, sanitize, keep it clean, all the dishes put away, all, everything that has to happen in a kitchen, you get home by 10, 10.30, you can do your homework, and then hopefully, you know, get up and, and have a, a normal day the next day the, be- the best you could and so I'm doing my part and I'm working to try and, and get out of there and he's not doing his part just kind of leaning there you know drinking some iced tea I remember that clearly and, and I remember I was still close enough to the owner I could probably get this guy fired I could probably get this guy fired and I, and I remember this vividly this night vividly I was just bugged you know, mad, I was angry you know, I was frustrated, angry. He's getting paid more than me. I know much more about this place than him. I can work circles around this whole guy. And we were closing down. We're doing all this checklist of stuff. And we had these three-tiered carts, stainless steel, three-tiered carts. We've worked in a restaurant. You know what it's all about. They're for busing tables. And what we have to do is, by the end of the day, we had about a dozen of them. And they all have to be wiped down, clean, spotless. That's what you have to do. You have to spray them and wipe them all down. And, and, I, and, I, and I remember I was, I was wiping down carts. I was doing carts, wiping down. And he was standing over there, you know, kind of not doing much at all. And I remember feeling such anger for this guy, such madness. I'm wiping down the carts. And, and I remember, remember I had made a, a, um, a commitment to Christ to live for him just a few months before. And I said, you know, God, I am so mad at this guy, so mad at this guy, but I don't know what else to do. And I remember it wasn't an audible voice, But it wasn't me. It was something that just simply said, why don't you love him? And I remember speaking back, not out loud, but I remember saying, "Um, I can't. And I said, God, um, if I'm supposed to love him, you have to give it to me. You have to give it to me. 'Cause I don't have it. It's hard to describe this. All of a sudden I felt this incredible love form in me. Honestly, I, I it happened to me then, it's never happened to me since. Not loving people, by the way, but I mean, you <laughs> yeah. know that's right. I, I felt all this love for him in me. Who this guy was, he had three little kids. He's trying to support his family, he's trying to make a living working in a kitchen. Incredible sense of compassion, love, and care. And I committed to make this guy a success. By the way, that has never happened since. Never happened since. Um, I read the Bible and I feel the presence of God, the closeness of God, the reality of God being close to me. I've never had that kind of a experience again. I'm not sure God ever needs to give it to me again. And if he does, fine. If he doesn't, that's okay, too, because the words of the Bible tell me now and give me guidance and help me. But when I feel led to pray for somebody, I'll pray for them or call somebody, I will. When I feel like, you know, it's just the right thing to do, I'll do it. So be open to, to, the, to the voice of God, that when you know, don't know what to do, say, God, Speak. Second thing is small things I do make a big difference. Ananias was told, go for Saul's my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And he does, this one guy. He does. He goes. And he speaks to kings. Saul speaks to kings. And Saul, Paul's message is written down, goes and spreads. It spreads throughout Asia Minor. It spreads throughout Europe spreads all over the world, eventually comes to the United States, eventually comes here to California, and eventually comes to a place called Half Moon Bay. And for some of you, you heard the message of Jesus Christ. All because of who? Not Saul. Because of who? Ananias. We did a baby dedication here a few moments ago. Little kids, cute, you know. Do you understand their potential? Do you understand? All that's there. I mean, little Logan, little Natalie, sweet, cute, you know, and all that. And everything they're going to go through with skin, knees, and tears, and colds, and all that kind of stuff. But their potential as God's chosen instruments could be to take Jesus' message everywhere, anywhere, anywhere, everywhere. And small things I do make a, a, a big difference, and that's why I have us all stand and say, we're part of, of, of this, you know, because the encouragement you share when they're in youth group, you know, when they're in their teens, or, or taking care of them in the nursery. That's why we ask you to work in a nursery, not just simply because we need names filled in a blank. We ask you to do it because I want Logan, when he comes into the nursery, I want him to feel love immediately from the get-go, to feel loved. Loved by people so that as he begins to grow, this is a place where he has nothing but good feelings about. And when he finally hears about Jesus Christ, when we work with Natalie in the second grade or the third grade, when you begin to say, I love you, I care about you, and so does God and so does Jesus, Natalie then, it all comes together in her mind, the place that she has received love and care from people. These people do it because they love Jesus Christ and I can too. And then as they get into youth ministry and youth groups, there'll be opportunities for them to go outside their comfort zone because you went outside yours. We don't ask you to do it just simply to get things done. We do it because lives change, and lives change lives. Church is not church business. It's the life change. And last one is, obviously, I need to get out of my comfort zone for God. Do something different. Do something really different. If you need to encourage somebody, encourage them, you know, Share about Jesus. Talk to him and say, you know, when someone asks you, oh, so what'd you do this weekend? The common thing is to say, what? Nah, nothing. Why not say, oh, I went to church? Because that means a lot to me. That's where I go. Crack the door open. Get out of your comfort zone. That's where things happen. Worship team, would you guys come on up? <laughs> I love, I love the people on our worship team. Um, they, week after week, come out of their comfort zone, except Mark. This is way right in his bandwidth <laughs> right here. But I, I think of and I and I mentioned his name last, John, behind me, um, raised his hand as an introvert. Um, John would prefer to be back behind the drums, as far back as he can be, out of sight um, here. But every so often, we give Mark a break, and John gets, gets up front. And unfortunately... John is a good drummer, John is a great guitar player, and John's got a great voice. And so, sorry, buddy, um, you get stuck up here. He goes out of his comfort zone, and lives are touched when we worship God through, through him. And all of them, you know, Lauren, and then we've got Jack back there, and um, and Biddy, of course, and then um, Janet's the one hiding back behind the drums this time, but um, they, I did, I said Lauren, yeah. So anyway... Do it as well. Be involved. Let's pray. Can you pray with me, please? So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for this story, the truth of a guy named Ananias being ripped out of that which was comfortable and um, facing the one who wanted to kill him. And he took charge of that situation, and he shared those words that had changed his life, Believe in the Lord Jesus <laughs> you be saved. And Saul was saved. He was saved from himself. He was saved from his sin. Saved from a dead life. God, thank you so much for that. That you do that. You save us from dead lives. God, there may be people here that have never made that decision because this whole religion thing is out of the comfort zone. The whole spiritual life is out of their comfort zone and they want to be in control and Jesus, speak to them right now. Speak to them in convincing them that you are the way. You are the truth. You're life. We come to God through you. Your death on a cross. Father, this week, may, may we have opportunity. Not have. May we see the opportunities you give to go outside our comfort zone, to serve, to love, to care, to share. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, you guys, God bless you. Thank you for coming, being a part of today. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to finish with a final song and have an incredible day. Sun's out. Enjoy it. So God bless you guys. Love you.